Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. The name of the message tonight is, is My Way or The Highway? And that's the question uh, that's before us as we begin here just looking at these three verses, the first three verses in chapter 10. Uh, Notice with me, it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, but he casts away the substance of the wicked. Now, the book of Proverbs, essentially, as we're going through it, has two sections. Uh, The first section, chapters 1 through 9, which we looked at exhaustively uh, in our first three studies of the book, uh, really is kind of the the precursor, the preamble, uh, setting us up and imploring us to give heed to the things that are spoken in the remainder of the book. And so as we come to chapter 10, we come into that second segment, the second half of it. And right here at the very beginning, in the first three verses... We are introduced to the three main characters in the drama that is Proverbs. You say, wait a minute, there's actually characters in the book of Proverbs? The answer is yes. And we meet them right here. They are the wicked, the fool, and the wise. And these three people, these three characters are going to keep coming up over and over and over again uh, throughout the entirety of it. Now, I want to describe these three people to you so that you know exactly who we're talking about and what it is that we're dealing with. We'll start low and we'll work up. So we'll begin with the wicked. The wicked person that's described in the book of Proverbs is the person who is, for all intents, godless. They are unsaved, they are hell-bent on doing wickedly, doing what they want. They're given over to self-will and evil, essentially, and the Bible labels them as the wicked. Now, I went through and I looked at, in the Proverbs, all of the descriptive verses that define who this person is, and as you read the Proverbs, this is what characterizes, according to God, the wicked. He says... And it's in chapter 6, verse 18. He says that they run to evil. In other words, they're so attracted to it that it's irresistible to them. They run towards evil. He says, God of the wicked, that they love violence. He says that they are constantly conspiring with other people with the agenda of doing something bad. They're conspirators. He also says that they're cruel. He says that they're liars. He says that they love contention and conflict, that they're stubborn, that they're tyrannical rulers when the wicked are in in charge, that they're selfish, and that they persecute the righteous. Now, for every one of those descriptions, there are proverbs that testify of that. So this is who we're dealing with when we talk about the wicked person. They are godless. The second character that we meet is the fool. Now, the fool is not the wicked. They are not synonymous. The fool isn't evil. The fool is flawed. That's the big difference between the wicked and the fool. So these are what the Proverbs say about the foolish person or the fool. This is how they are described. In chapter 10, verse 23, it says that it is a sport to them to do mischief. Now, That's different than a person who runs to wickedness. To them, it's a sport. So what does that mean? It means that the foolish is an edgy person. That is that they're edge close. It's a sport for them. They want to see how close to the line they can get without crossing over into sin or into real mischief. It's a sport. I want to see how close I can get. I want to flirt with bad I just don't want to be all bad. And that person is foolish. They're edgy. They are also slack-jawed. Now, what that means is that they talk too much. 
And if you read the Proverbs, you will see that this is a very high mark. It is often spoken of the person that is foolish. They're gossipers and slanderers. They have no filter on their mouth. They use way too many words. And they have no shut-off valve between their mind and their tongue. Meaning that whatever comes into their mind comes out of their mouth, no matter what it is. And so they're slack-jawed. They just talk way too much. They are also heart-led. That is, that the heart is on top. And what I mean by that is that their emotions control their actions. They act according to how they feel. If it feels good, if it feels right, if I feel like this is the right thing to do, then that's what I'm going to do. And their, their emotions are unshielded in their actions. So it says in chapter 12, verse 16, it says that a fool's wrath is presently known. Meaning that if they get angry, they don't know how to shield that anger. They don't, they don't know how to channel it the right way. They don't know what to do with it. If it's what I'm feeling right now, then everybody in my life is going to know that that's what I'm feeling right now. I'm, I'm led by my emotions. It also says in chapter 17, verse 24, it says that the fool's eyes are to the ends of the earth. That's the, the proper King James way of saying that their head is in the clouds. So they're not being led by their head, they're being led by their feelings, the way that they feel, and so they're heart-led. Another descriptive characteristic of the fool is that they are excuse experts. They know how to make excuses for everything that's wrong in their life. They can excuse it away in some way. And the result of that is that they are procrastinators. They put things off because they have a good reason not to do them now. They are also lazy because of their ability to make excuses for why not. And they make excuses for everything uh, that that, that would be um, put upon them. They're excuse experts. And then this is a big one that marks the fool. The fool, and this is huge. This is probably the biggest defining characteristic of a fool. Is that they are instructionally independent. And what that means is that they don't ask questions or ask for counsel they don't listen to advice when it's offered or given and they don't receive when someone tries to help them out they are instructionally independent they want to do it by themselves and so the result of all of these things that mark the fool is that they are constantly always in trouble there's always trouble in the life of the fool they're causing problems for other people and they're constantly repeating the mistakes and the errors that they make because of their foolishness and thus the consequences that the proverbs ascribe to the fool the consequences that come to them because of their folly are stripes, that means the whip, (laughs) the rod, sorrows, strokes, the whip, and the leash. (laughs) All of those things are characteristic in the life of the fool. They're constantly going through trouble because of their foolishness. Now, here's what you need to understand about the fool, is that there is hope for a fool. A fool can learn, but the problem is they're not going to learn without pain. A fool learns, but a fool needs consequences in order to learn. And and the biggest problem with the fool is that they're unwilling to admit their foolishness, and thus it takes a lot of repetition, a lot of pain oftentimes for a fool to realize their foolishness. That's the fool. The third character, the star of the production, is the wise the wise man or the wise woman. And these are the descriptive characteristics of the wise in the Proverbs. Is that first of all, they value improvement. They listen and they learn from what they've heard. Secondly, they love to listen and to learn from what they heard. The two different mentions. They seek counsel out from other people because they realize that they don't have all the answers. Interesting that the wise person realizes that they lack something. That's the wise. 
Secondly, the wise person is head-ruled. That is that they are discretionate. They're discretionate with their words. They think before they act, and they think before they speak. They're ruled by their head, not by their emotions. The wise also avoid trouble and unnecessary conflict. So unlike the wicked who runs to it and the fool who flirts with it, the wicked avoids it. They stay far away from anything that could be trouble or that could cause trouble. Also, the wise, they own their mistakes, they hear reproof, and they self-correct. You won't find too many times in the Proverbs that the wise person is enduring consequences. It's not because they don't sin or fall or fail. It's because the reproof that comes, the correction that comes, gets in and they make the proper adjustments and then they change the direction of their life and thus they avoid the consequences that the fool so freely walks into over and over and over again. And then finally, the wise person is marked by a diligence. They're not lazy. They're not excuse makers. They're not procrastinators. They know what needs to be done and they put their hands to it and they do it. And that person is the wise person. Now, here's the premise that I want to give to you concerning these three characters that appear over and over and over again. And that is this, is that everyone who is wise or that attains unto wisdom started at wicked, passed through foolish, and grew into wisdom. No one comes out of the womb just wise, There's a progression, there's a flow. And that leads to what I want to talk to you about tonight. And that is the idea of a proper biblical, you ready for it? Your check engine light's going to go on. Self-awareness. A proper biblical self-awareness. Now, I know that sounds bad because you think, well, anything that has the word self in it, aren't those bad things? You know, self-will, self-glorying, self you know, all all the selves, and you're saying self-awareness, isn't self bad, like we're not supposed to, no, 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 a biblical self-awareness is actually critical to us if we want to grow, And, and we can prove that even in the New Testament, Jesus said, it's one of the most famously quoted verses ever, it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, and Jesus said this, it's called the golden rule, he said, therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, if you want to know how to treat people, the question that you need to ask is, how is it that I would want to be treated? Now, that requires a self-awareness or a level of self-awareness because I have to know, I have to think about how do I respond when people talk to me a certain way or treat me a certain way or give or take, whatever it is, I can't really understand how someone else is interpreting my actions unless I first reflect upon my own response to what happens in my life. And that came right from Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 The Bible declares this to us concerning Jesus. It says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him or pleased him to be made like unto his brothers. That's us. Why? That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For, it's a reason word, in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to help them also that are tempted. He says, uh, the writer of Hebrews, just a chapter later, chapter 4, verse 15, he says of Jesus, he says that we do not have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. What's that saying? It's saying that Jesus, who was God, saw it necessary to become one of us and experience what we go through. The pain, the depression, the emptiness, the frustration, the temptation, the weight of those things. He needed to feel that in order that he might be a faithful high priest and represent us before the Father. That means that Jesus knew, hey, I cannot relate having never been in fallen human flesh, so I'm going to get into fallen human flesh, and I'm going to feel the weight of that temptation. There's a self-awareness in that on the part of God for the sake of relating to us. 
David in Psalm 139. It's an amazing psalm. It's a famous psalm. It's the one where he talks about uh, being knit together in his mother's womb, where he says, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? It's an amazing psalm, but really it's a psalm about biblical self-awareness because David begins it by saying you have searched me oh God and you know me you know me better than I know myself you know my downsitting my uprising you know everything about me and there's no nothing I can do or anywhere I can go that you're not already there then he recognizes second part of the psalm that you made me in the womb and you knew me before I was even born you knew me better than I knew myself And then the prayer that comes on the other side of all of that testimony at the end of the psalm, it's Psalm 139, verse 24, verse 23 first. He says this, he says, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and you see if there be any wicked way in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. So search, see, know then reveal to me what's really in me so that I can go the right direction. David was recognizing that if I don't fully know me the way you know me, then I'm not going to be able to perceive the right way, the right direction that I need to go. Here's the point, is that we need to know ourselves and understand ourselves if we want to move from a position of foolishness to a position of wisdom. It means that we need to take and ask God to help us take a long, hard, honest look at ourselves and recognize our own foolishness so that we can then be led out of foolishness and into a place of wisdom. And that can be a very painful thing because nobody wants to admit that they're foolish. But know this, that the pathway to wisdom first passes through the lowlands of foolishness. You cannot get to wisdom without first recognizing your own folly. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seems to be wise in this world or thinks that they're wise or wants to be wise, then let him become a fool that he may be wise. In other words, you're never going to be a wise person unless you first own the level of your own foolishness. And if we take an honest look at our behaviors, our ways and our motives, the things that drive what we do, what we're going to see inevitably is that we're going to see a level of great foolishness inside of us. Now, clinical psychology, which sometimes can be at odds with biblical Christianity... They also talk about self-awareness as a path to freedom or a path to wholeness or a path to happiness. But there's a difference between what psychology calls self-awareness and what God intends for self-awareness. See, psychology says that what you need to do is you need to look into your past and you need to examine your roots, where you came from. So think about what you went through as a child. Think about the events and experiences that maybe shaped or caused some of the problems that you have. Re-experience some of the things that you experienced growing up and contemplate the pain of those things so that you can find a reason why you are the way you are or why you do the things that you do. Now, I am not hating on psychology. I believe it has a place, and I believe that it is helpful at times, and it is. And I also believe that psychologists are on the right path when they say these things. The problem is they don't go far enough down the path. See, their problem, because it's godless and they don't have the vision of God, their path only goes as far back as the beginning of a person's life. So go back to your childhood. Go back to your infant years. What shaped, what caused? You're not going to find the answers there because the problem started way before you were born. That's the reality. And if you only go back to that point, you're not going to get to the root of it. You'll find something, but it's not going to help you in the long run. What do I mean? 
the answer to the issues that we face, the answer to the reason why we're foolish, sometimes wicked, but I'm hoping tonight that there's no wicked people here. If there is, maybe you'll have an opportunity at the end of our study tonight to change from wicked to at least foolish and maybe wise. But the answer is way back at the beginning when God first made man in the first place. See, David was on to something, and here's why. Because David realized that his problems, his folly, his foolishness, his sin, his issues, went way before he was born. He said it in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. I don't think it's going to go on the screen, but you can write it down and I'll tell you what it says. He says this. He says, in sin did my mother conceive me. Meaning that the problems that are going on inside of me came with me factory installed. It wasn't the byproduct of a daddy wound or being neglected by my mother or beat up by my older brothers or neglected and passed over when Samuel came. None of those things are the reason. He says, no, that, my problems go way before that. I was conceived in sin. And so what happens is now I say, okay, well then what is the real issue? And so I say, God, I need you to make sense and clarity to what's going on inside of me so that I can understand. So what do I do? I turn to the word of God, the help of the spirit of God, and now I begin to find some answers. That's why it says in Psalm 119, 105, he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God sheds light on issues and reveals what's really going on in a given situation. So here's what happens when we turn to the Lord and turn to his word to ask, what's the problem with me? Why am I foolish? Why do I do foolish things? And here's the answer that you'll come up with as you start to search out these things. You're going to find two things, and I'm so glad it's just two things, very simple. God is simple. He knows we need simple. Number one, what you're going to find is that way back at the beginning, when God first conceptualized and then made man, what God did is that God made man in his image. You and I are made in the image of God. And what that means is that we are inherently given things that are attributes of our Father. They're in us because He made them to be in us. We have things in us that are like Him, and that's never going to change because we're made in His image. So what does that mean? It means that we have some SDDs, not STDs, don't be confused. They are SDDs. We have a few SDDs. What are they? Number one, What it stands for really is a strong, deep desire or a strong, deep drive. There are some strong, deep drives that are in us because we've been made in the image of God. One of those things is that we are relational by nature. We're driven to be relational and to want relationship with other people. We are driven with an agape appetite. We have the ability to be loved and to love, and we're driven by it. There's a drive that comes from God that we want to love and we want to be loved. We have been given by God a desire, a deep desire, to both impact and be impacted. We want to touch and we want to be touched. That's something that we have in us because we've been made in the image of God. We've also been given a creativity and a desire to express ourselves. That's of God. He is that way and he made us that way. And thus we have a drive to do all of these things. It's in us. It's inherent. Like an oak tree births acorns, we are going to possess universally these things because we've been made in the image of God. That's number one. Now, here's where it gets confusing. Not not to understand, but in our experience. This is why we're foolish, okay? Because not only are we made in the image of God, but we are also, number two, we are fallen creatures. We're fallen creatures. Now, here's how that applies in this situation. Written on that fruit, it's not an apple. It doesn't say it was an apple. It was a fruit. It was the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And do you know what was written on that fruit? If you looked at the fine print, at the bottom of that piece of fruit, there was something written there. Do you know what it said? It said, I can do it by myself. 
That's what they were doing. They were saying, we don't need God to lead, to shepherd, to Lord. We are able to possess those faculties and capacities in and of ourselves, and so we can lead our own lives independent of god we can have the knowledge of good and evil and we can do it by ourselves adam ate from that fruit eve ate from that fruit and every single one of us was born into this world listen with the default setting inside of us that we can do it by ourselves. I can do it by myself. That's what I want. I'm driven that way. I want to do it. So put those two things together. I'm made in God's image, which means that I have a deep drive to be relational, to love and be loved, to make an impact and be impacted, to create and to express myself. I have those drives. They're given by God. But I also have this thing where I want to figure out how to do it by myself. I want to make those things happen. I want to fill those appetites. I want to be the one that figures out how all that goes. And there's this conflict now. Because I want these things, and I also want to figure out how to make them work. Now, every inherent appetite or drive or desire that we have comes from God. It's from God, and thus, it's meant to be filled by God or filled with God, or filled through God. We are not made to be independent of God. But in the fall, man, we're now set and bent on filling those appetites our own way. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, it says this. It says that they, professing themselves to be wise, they ate the fruit because they wanted to be wise. It was desirous to make them wise. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Because now they're going to go about trying to satisfy their needs of their life with their own ways. They're going to do it, and they became foolish. And here's the danger of being made in God's image and yet being fallen. Put those two things. Here's the danger. It's that I'm now I have a tendency to pursue right things. I want to be relational. I want to love and be loved. I want to make an impact. I want to create and express myself. Right things. I have a right pursuit but I'm going to go about it the wrong way. I'm driven, but I'm driven to do it my way. I'm going to figure it out. That's why Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 11, it says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things, and who can know it? Here's the fact of the matter. The bottom line is that strong desires, which come from God, plus a fierce self-loyalty, which every fallen creature has, equals self-destructive foolishness because i'm going to go about trying to meet my needs in the way that makes the most sense to me remember what's one of the chief characteristics of the fool is that they are instructionally independent i don't want god to tell me how i'm supposed to live i don't want man to tell me how i'm supposed to live i'm going to figure it out all by myself i'm driven by what i feel is best for my life i know a young woman um who is in a current position where she's not satisfied in her marriage. Now, she doesn't come to this church. I want you to make that very clear because I want you to ever fear when you're sitting here that you're going to become the example uh, of an illustration, something that you shared in confidence or or that the pastors or something know that you're going through. But I know a young woman uh, right now who is unsatisfied in her marriage. uh, uh, She's young. She's got a couple of kids, young family. And there's nothing wrong with the guy. He's not abusive. He's not a bad person. He's not lacking to provide. He's doing everything uh, to the best of his ability. She's just not happy in the marriage that that she's in. Now, what I know about her, because it's true of everyone, is that she has a strong, deep desire. She's got an SDD, a strong, deep desire to, to, to be in a meaningful and growing and exciting relationship. She has that desire. That comes from God. We all have that. And not being saved, and she isn't, not being saved, marriage promised to fulfill that appetite. There was a promise that, hey, if you get married, then you're going to have this fulfilling, life-giving, satisfying, exciting relationship, and you're never going to feel the ache of that loneliness or desire for relationship again. Marriage promises that it's going to fulfill that need. But guess what? It doesn't fill that need because marriage isn't designed to fill that need. God is designed to fill that need. 
And so then it's kids. Well, maybe it's because I don't have kids. And so I'll pray and ask and, and I'll, I'll do what I have to and I'll get. And now, but I'm still not happy. And because not in a strong relationship with God, the appetite is not fulfilled in, with, or through him. So here's the answer in her mind to this situation that she's in. The best thing that I can do is leave my marriage and start over because what I'm looking for is going to be found in someone else. Do you know what that's called? It's called foolish. <laughs> it's called, that's the wrong answer. Because you're just going to end up in the same situation a little bit further down the road, and there's going to be a ton of wreckage behind you. I have, in my life, done this, and I've also seen many people do it. I think this is something that's probably relatable to all of us, is that I have, time of confession, I have spent money on things that I probably don't need and that I probably can't or couldn't afford. Anybody else in here do that, or, or am I the only sinner that's ever done that, you know? <laughs> you know? Now, I know about me, and I know this about you, is that we have a strong, deep desire. We have an SDD to feel powerful. We want to feel like we're advancing. We want to feel like we're growing. We want to feel like we're experiencing life, like we're going somewhere. That's something that's in us from God because he wants us to grow. He wants us to be powerful. That's what he made us for, to represent him and to serve him and alongside of him. Now, I know that possessing, that wearing, that driving something, that living in a certain place promises to fulfill that appetite. That if I have, or that if I take it home, if I unwrap the new box, if I hang it on the wall, if whatever it is, it promises it's going to make me feel like I'm powerful, like I'm growing, like I'm, I'm doing something, I'm advancing. And, and that works for a little while, doesn't it? I mean, there's something satisfying about buying something. But what happens is that that feeling wears off because you can't continue feeling. That's not how it works. And so the feeling of that power wears off, but the payments don't go away, right? You still have to pay for it, even if it doesn't satisfy you anymore. You know what that's called? It's called foolishness. It's called me trying to satisfy an appetite with something that can't ultimately satisfy the appetite. Now, the drive is from God, and it's intended to be filled in him or with him or through him in some way, not in something that I can do in and of myself. Another confession. I have done some things in my life, maybe you have too, that I now look back and I say, that was really stupid. Or that misrepresents who I am as a person, and I did things for the sake of approval or affirmation. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, I went to a, a private parochial school, grades one through four, went to public school in the fifth grade, did not fit in, not at all. And I went home and I said, Mom, I need a bowl cut. Do you remember the bowl cut? <laughs> they put a bowl on your head and they cut everything that's not covered by the bowl. And that's the bowl cut. You know, so you're, and, I was, and my mom's like, you ain't getting a bowl cut. I was like, Mom, I'm getting a bowl cut. And so she capitulated. She gave in. I went to school with a bowl cut. I thought the bowl cut looked ridiculous. It wasn't my personality, but I needed to fit in. And so I was willing, because there was a hunger, there was a drive to be approved, to be affirmed. I was willing to do things that were misrepresentative of myself for the sake of meeting an appetite that was given to me by God. There are people that drive themselves literally into the nuthouse in a pursuit of approval and affirmation and acceptance. Something that only God can meet. The drive is from God, but it's meant to be fulfilled in, with, and through him. Every human being in this room has an aching drive and desire, the SDD, to know our identity. We want to know who we are. And so what we do is that we cling to talents that people tell us that we have, and we make that our identity. Oh, I'm a skateboarder, or I'm a jock, I'm an athlete, or I'm a musician, that's who I am. And we attach things we can do to what we are because we don't know what we are. We want to know. We want to find a resting place for that nagging issue that's inside every one of us. Who am I? Where do I come from? What am I for? That's from God, that desire to know who we are. But it's fulfilled in God, with God, through God. It needs to be told to us by the one who made us. And on and on it goes. Whatever it is that the appetite is that's in me, the appetite is from God. 
and it's meant to be fulfilled in a relationship with him through that relationship and then done with him in tandem or or as he leads and provides in my life every one of those things here's the point and how it relates to a healthy biblical self-awareness is that if I don't recognize the source of my desires and what they're for and how they work, then I will ultimately bring them to the wrong conclusion. I will say, I'm not happy. I'm not joy-filled. I feel incomplete. And the reason for that is because I married the wrong person. It's because I chose the wrong career path. It's because I had bad parents. It's because I'm stupid and my life is not worth anything. And I don't measure up to other people. It's because I'm not where I need to be right now. I need to be somewhere else. It's demographic. Or I need a degree in something. Or I need a new look. Anything where we would say, I'd be happier if I. That is bringing a right desire to a wrong conclusion. And the Bible defines that as foolish. And here's what it is. I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm not happy and incomplete, but I'm not self-aware enough to know why. But I'm committed to figure it out on my own because I'm fallen. And I don't want to see that I'm broken. And I don't want to admit it. So I need the word of God and the spirit of God to reveal it. And I need the humility and the will to receive the reproof from God so that I can move from an independent, my way mentality to a surrendered, dependent, relational, highway mentality where I'm allowing God to have first place in my life so that those desires and drives that are inherently given me by him find their proper resolution and resting place in him. And thus I can now begin to live a life that God calls wise or in a path that he calls wisdom. So what's the self-awareness solution? It's number one, to recognize the true source of my desires and my appetites. Why am I standing in front of the refrigerator when I know that I'm not hungry? You ever ask yourself that question? (laughs) I mean, we ask ourselves, we don't mean it. You know, we're just like moving through it already, looking for something. You know, but what is the appetite? What actually is going on inside of me? Why am I looking at her? Or why am I looking at him? When I'm already in a committed, covenantal relationship. What, what is this appetite? Where does it come from? And what's lacking in me that I find myself hungry for something that I shouldn't be? It goes on and on and on. Why do I want to watch another movie? Why do I want... And, and we, sometimes we need to ask ourselves those questions and get to the root of what the desire actually is behind the appetite that I'm trying to fulfill. And there's an appetite there. I'm trying to fill it the wrong way. You know, the first thing that Adam and Eve did after the fall is that they sewed together fig leaves in a self-attempt to try to cover up the shame and not deal with what they were really struggling with, the shame that was on the inside. I I find it funny. You read the text and God finally finds them in the garden. He sees them covered with all the fig leaves. God's looking at him. He's like, what in the world are you wearing? He was the first parent, by the way, to say that to his kids. He's like, what? You are not going outside like that. Come come over here, you know. (laughs) God says, let's just get rid of that right now. Really? Yeah, right? Just get get rid of the fig leaves. I don't want to see the fig leaves, you know. But, you know, getting rid of the fig leaves is important. Here's why. Because the Bible says that already, it says that all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Meaning that God already knows what we are. He already knows what's inside of us. He already knows the flaw, the fall, what we're trying to do. He knows our foolishness. He knows it straight up. So he's just like, let's just cut through all of your self, you know, deceptive attempts to try to hide your own folly. Let's cut it right out right now. We say, God, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, if do you really know what's under here? God says, not only do I know what's under there, but I hung on a cross naked for you when I had nothing to hide and there was no shame in me. My nakedness allows for your nakedness. You need to get real with me right now about what's going on inside of you. And let's get down right to the beginning, the brass tacks of what you really need within your life. And I need to be humble enough and willing enough and open enough to before God say, God, these things are in me. Why are they there? And then allow him to uncover and reveal the ugliness of what's inside because I'm not going to be cleansed and healed of it if I don't allow him to first do that. 
So I must recognize what's going on inside of me. Then after that, after I recognize, the second thing I need to do is I need to repent. Now I know that's a tough church word, but it's actually an amazingly freeing word. The idea of repentance. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 23 tells us what we're supposed to do when we recognize folly, foolishness inside of us. He says, turn you at my reproof. That word turn you, it's, that, that means repent. It means turn. Turn at my reproof. When God says what you're doing right now is a self-effort attempt to try to satisfy something that I put in you that you're never going to be able to figure out or fill and satisfy on your own. And what you need to do right now is you need to repent. You need to turn from your self-effort ways. And you need to surrender it to me. When the word reveals my action or reveals my flaw, my action is to repent. And repentance is the key to change. Repentance means to confess, to own, and then to trust him with the outcome. It says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says that whoever covers his sin will not prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. And you know why it's so freeing? Because once you do that, it's no longer your responsibility to change anything else. At that point, it becomes all God's work within you. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said that it pleased God that it would be through the foolishness of preaching that people would be saved. Because it's foolish to think that all I have to do is repent and God's going to change me? Yes. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness he does the work of change when i'm willing to say god this is me i'm sorry i'm fallen i'm foolish fix me i recognize that it's in you it's with you it's through you that life is supposed to be lived and i've been trying to do it on my own god i'm sorry and he comes in and wisdom begins to do its work replacing the folly so i'm to recognize i'm to repent and then thirdly and finally i'm to then enter into and this is the path to wisdom i'm to enter into a life of dependence upon him to walk with him in continual relationship. Thus my appetites are satisfied in God, with God, and through God. That's what happens when we walk with him because that's what we were designed to live like. My wife, if any of you have, have uh, had the pleasure of, of spending any time with her, she is an exceedingly wise woman. She could wipe the floor with any owl in the universe in the arena of wisdom. And, and really, she should be, because she has been married to three different men. You know, and you, you, you learn a lot when you've been married to three different men. And actually, I'm, I'm a little suspicious, because I, I think I have this suspicion that right now she's got her eyes on the next one. Right now, even as we speak, the woman that I'm married to. And I know what you're thinking right now, like, this is either a joke or, you know, there's something here because we did not know that about your wife, you know, and, and, and uh, maybe she's not as wise as you're purporting her to be. Here, here's what I mean by that, is that her testimony is that when she gave, gave her life to Jesus Christ, she was 18 years old when she came to know him, the very first thing that he did for her, and he does a very first thing for all of us, it might be different from person to person, but the first thing that he did for her is that he taught her that satisfaction comes from him and through him alone. Now, if there's a first thing that you want God to teach you when you get saved, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, but he did that. There was a deep work in her heart, and she learned that satisfaction is only going to come from God. It's not going to come from anyone else. And so what that has done for her over the years is that every single time she has felt in herself that I am not the man that's going to fulfill all of her wildest dreams. And that happens in marriage, doesn't it? You realize this person isn't exactly what I thought they were going to turn out like, you know, in the whole thing. Every time that that has happened, what she has done is this, is that she has found her satisfaction, not in me, but in him. And she took her appetite to God. And do you know what the result of that was and has been and is continuing to be? Is that in God's time and in God's way, he has either changed me or adjusted her. 
In other words, her dependence on him, not putting the pressure on, oh, the marriage is going to make me happy. The marriage is everything that I need. No, no, no. God, you're the one that's going to make me happy. You're the one that I need. And in the process, not only was she satisfied, but the power of God has been able to change me. And I'm not the man that I was, that she's been dissatisfied three times for. Maybe she's been married to six men. I don't know. And maybe I've been married to five women that have all had the same body. You know her. You know, Because God changes people. He changes situations. But to think that it's something outward that's going to ultimately satisfy or meet the needs that we have, it's not going to happen. What this is called, it's called dependence. And you know what the result has been in her life? She's the most joy-filled person I know. Genuine. A sincere, consistent, steady joy. Do you know where it begins? It begins recognizing. Let us become fools that we might be what? Wise. It begins with a healthy biblical self-awareness of saying, God, I need you to peel back the fig leaf layers of my heart and reveal what's inside. And I need to be honest with you and I need to repent of some things and I need to lay before you some self-chosen, self-medicating ways that I am dealing with certain things in my life that aren't working for me and that are causing consequences that I don't like. And I need to get real and I need to be real with you. I need to become a fool before you to really recognize that I am one. And God does amazing things from there. And so the question that I put before you tonight is where are you on the spectrum? Are you the wicked person The one who's godless, who says, I don't need God, I don't want God, I don't need counsel, I don't want counsel, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, and I'm going to go down that road as far, fast, and hard as I want to. What you need to know is that the end of that life is a destructive life. It's a short life. It's a miserable life. It's an unsuccessful life. It's a wasted life. And no one needs to stay on that path, but know this, that we all start on it. We did not enter into this world as righteous people. You know that? and sin that our mothers conceive us. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world, and he lived the life that we couldn't live, and then he paid the price that we couldn't pay, and then he offers to us the gift that we can't earn, that if we're willing to receive his forgiveness and call on him for salvation, that he will move our name from the column of wicked to the column of righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what he did. And if you're that person in here that's described, you're godless. You know that you don't have God in your life. The Bible says that if you call upon the name of Jesus, repenting of your sins, that you will be saved. It's already paid for. It's just yours to receive it. If you're the foolish person in here tonight, and listen, if you're wise, you're foolish. (laughs) Then what God calls and asks of us tonight is that we would allow him to search us, to know us, That not before any human being, but before us and God alone, we would allow him to begin to uncover some of the motives behind our actions, some of the whys behind the what's of our lives, and to begin to clean things out as he reveals and says, hey, look, you are coping with this and this way. You're leaning this way. You're actually thinking right now about doing something that's going to be a train wreck in your future and affect other people's lives because you're trying to do things your way. And God would say, would you let me shine my light on it and be God in your life as I was intended from the very beginning? I would invite you right now, if you're in a place where you just want to say, God, I want to own that I'm the fool. And Lord, I want to open my heart to you to search. I want to invite you to, in the vulnerability of the moment, just to raise your hand and say, Lord, I, I, I know that I'm a fool And I want to be wise. And I receive your invitation to move into that place. Father, I just want to pray right now for my brothers and my sisters, and myself as well, Lord. Oh God, we're so flawed, we're so fallen, we're so broken, and we're so needy. But you're a God who's so willing, so abundant, and so rich. And so I just pray right now, Jesus, that this week, starting even as we drive home tonight, starting even right now while we sit here, Lord, that you would begin to go very deep, very deep, right to the core of our being, to the core of what we've been made for. God, that you would help us to understand our SDDs and the foolish ways that we try to satisfy those appetites. And that you would help us, Lord, to know how to repent and that you lead us, Lord, in change. That we would become truly wise. 
You can put your hands down. If there's anyone here tonight and you don't know Jesus personally, I want you to know that his will for your life is nothing but good. He has done everything that can be done from eternity's side to save your soul and to forgive you of your sins. And just think about the fact that God not only became a man, but that he hung naked on a cross. You know why he was naked? Because nakedness in the Bible speaks of shame. Jesus bore our shame. And so the very shame that our folly would expose, Jesus bore that when he hung on a cross in that humiliated fashion. And now his promise to you and I is not that we're going to go through that same shame and our sin is going to be exposed, but he says that he's going to clothe us with robes of righteousness, removing away the fig leaves of our hiding, our costumes, and he's going to save us from the inside out, changing us. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, right now, I would invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's a simple prayer asking God to forgive your sin and to come into your heart and to have the relationship with you that you were made to have with him. It's not to join a church. It's not to join a religion. But it's between you and God, a prayer asking him to save you. Right now, I just want to ask all of you, please, so that no one feels like they're praying alone. Would you just pray this with me, even if you prayed it before? For the sake of those maybe that are praying it for the first time. Lord God, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I need your salvation. I confess that I'm flawed. That I'm confused. That I've been trying to fulfill things in wrong ways. And I've suffered consequences for it. But I believe that you died and rose for me. I believe that you want to give me a joy-filled, completed life. So please, would you save me? Would you wash away my sins? Would you come inside my heart? Would you fill and lead my life? And would you make me truly wise? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you be so bold as to just shoot your hand up in the air and acknowledge that you just prayed and asked Jesus? I see some hands around the room. God bless you. He loves you. He loves you so much, and he's going to do such an amazing work in you. Father, we just close the service in in honor of you. We thank you, Lord, for what you do and what you've done. Please, Lord Jesus, go with us. Please, Lord, change us from the inside out. Please, Lord, hear the heart cry that we have. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.